Good morning. So, 12 weeks ago, we began our look at the Sermon on the Mount. And when we did, we talked about a concept that I think for some or Perhaps many, maybe even most of us, was a a new concept, and that was the idea that when we enter into a relationship with Christ, um, we don't have to wait until the day we die to enter into eternity. We, in fact, already are entering into eternity. Eternity begins now. The kingdom of God is present, and we can live in that kingdom now. Yes, God has given us the gift of eternal life with him, But he has also invited us into a way of life in the kingdom now. The way we said it was the kingdom is here, the kingdom is now, and the kingdom is ours. And we celebrated the good news, which has undergirded this, this whole series so far, that we don't do this on our own, we don't do this in a vacuum, that God meets us at the point of our needs and gives us the kingdom resources we need to be able to live and to walk this kingdom way meets us with the presence of Christ and the power of his resurrection living in and through us. He meets us with the presence of his spirit within us, with the gift of his word, with the gift of the the body of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, who will walk with us and encourage us. And so the good news that we celebrated this entire time is that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus empower us to live life purposefully and abundantly Two very important words, purposely and abundantly in God's kingdom here, now, and forever. Amen? So Jesus begins, as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to lay out some comparisons of some choices that we have. We can either go the way of the kingdom, or we can go another way. I used to have this poster, I probably still have it somewhere under a bed somewhere, but it was a poster of baseball quotes, because baseball season begins this week. It always begins right around Easter, which is fun for me. And I used to have this poster, and on this poster were quotes from uh, famous baseball players, coaches, and managers. And one of my favorite ones was from Wes Westrom, who was a, a catcher, I think, for the New York Giants in the 1940s and 50s. And he said, baseball is like church, many attend, but few understand. And that's, there's several layers of truth to that, but it's especially true, I think, when we realize that, and when we add to the component, if we truly understand something, it should have an impact on our lives. If we truly know something, it should work itself out in our lives. We can say we have a certain belief or value, but if we don't live that value, do we really have that belief or value? Or are we just fooling ourselves? It's like when you say to your child, your son or your daughter, I need you to clean up your room. Or it's time to stop playing video games and come to the table, dinner's ready. And I don't know about you, but as a parent, sometimes I would say those things to my children. One of them might respond, I know. And what I wanted to say was, I know that you know what I said, but that doesn't mean you understood what I said. If you're not doing what I ask you to do, you haven't fully understood. Understand? The knowing and the doing go together. If you know and you do not do, you haven't fully known. This is a part of what Jesus is saying to us. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount as we come to the end. Jesus' brother, James, would agree over in chapter 1 of the book of James, verses 22 and 20 to 24. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. That's just ridiculous. 
You don't do that. That makes no sense. So if you hear the word, the only responsible, logical thing to do is to obey the word, to do the word. This idea of two ways of looking uh, at at God's commands, of, of, of entering into a relationship with God, have been around for a long time. If we go all the way back to the books of the law in the earliest part of our Bibles, we can find several places where these two ways of being in the world are mentioned. So in Deuteronomy chapter 11, for example... God says, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse, two ways. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. Very clear. There's a way of blessing and there's a way of cursing. The prophets later on in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, uh, through Jeremiah, this is what the Lord says, see, I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. Blessing. Curse, life, death, knowing the word, doing the word. And so Jesus taps into this and stays with this formula, this way of looking at the world, and carries it into the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He's given us all this teaching, now he's going to give us a series of brief comparisons that all are saying similar things about the choices that lay before us now that we have heard his Sermon on the Mount, now that we know what it means to live life in the kingdom of God. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There are two ways again. There's the narrow way and there's the broad way. Not Broadway, the broad way. The narrow way, the broad way. The narrow gate and the broad gate. Commentator Glenn Stassen says that one of the ways we could picture this is is, is, uh, the entrance into the kingdom is a funnel. And you can go through that funnel two ways. You can try to enter that kingdom by going through the wide end first, and you've got all this room to move around, but eventually you're going to come to a squeeze if you really want to enter into the kingdom. Eventually you're going to come to a difficult spot. Or you can flip it around and you can enter in through the narrow. And yes, it's tight, it seems demanding, it's difficult at first, but once you get in there, it just opens wide up. And you're free to live life, to enjoy you. There's a sense of liberty and freedom. Enter through the narrow way. This idea of of getting into this place of salvation of the kingdom as a broad place is a theme in Scripture as well. Sometimes in the Old Testament, salvation is portrayed as being taken into a broad place, like Psalm 18, 19. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. To enter into the kingdom through the narrow gate is to find ourselves in a broad space with room to live and move, room to be. Jesus moves on to his next comparison. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. There's this picture again. There's implied here false prophets and true prophets, which are likened to a good tree and a bad tree. And a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. And if you're the bad tree that produces bad fruit, it's not going to end well for you. The choices are there again. The two ways of looking at things. And then Jesus gets to what I think is probably the most judgmental piece 
of the, of the end of the sermon anyway. It sounds judgmental to us. For, for the guy who said, do not judge, this sounds judgmental. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. Back up here. It's not enough to call Jesus Lord unless you mean it. The same idea of hearing the word and not doing it. It's also not enough to do to perform miracles even. These aren't the things that matter to God. These aren't the things that matter for a kingdom way of life. The things that matter is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And in this context, that's referring to everything that Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount so far. And if we listen to that and we do that and we try to apply the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' other, te- other teaching to our lives, then we are doing the Father's will. And we have entered into the kingdom. If we do not, it's like we don't even know Jesus. And he says, he doesn't know us either. What are we to do with all of this judgment talk? All of this condemnation toward the end? Well, there's a few things here that I think help us to keep things in in mind. Again, um, Jesus enters into, as God enters into, in the incarnation, comes into the world as a first century Jewish man. So he enters into that world. He communicates the way that world communicates. And in that day and age, when teachers would go around teaching you how you were supposed to live, they would end this way. They would end with a series of pronouncements of judgment if you do not heed their teaching and a pronouncement of blessings if you do. They all did this. And so in one sense, Jesus is simply entering into the culture and he's teaching it the way anyone else would. He's not intending to say you are going to receive eternal damnation if you do not live according to the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. We know, we know from other parts of our Bibles that our salvation comes by grace through faith. He's speaking hyperbolically in order to get us to pay attention to how important this is. Yes, there is a form of destruction we will experience, My reading of this is the form of destruction has to do with what kind of pain you're going to bring on yourself and those around you if you don't live this way. You will not fully enter into the kingdom of God kind of life. There are five major discourses in the Gospel of Matthew on Jesus' lips, and every single one of them he does this. He finishes with a promise of judgment or curses upon those who disobey and a promise of blessings on those who do obey. And then, we didn't have this read earlier because we actually talked about this early on in the sermon to uh, set up how we were going to understand and apply the sermon to life. Uh, The final part in this section, uh, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
Just keeping score here. Two ways, two gates, two trees, two kinds of fruit. Two builders, two foundations, two houses, two destinies. Jesus wants us to know that our choices matter in this thing. He wants us to know that our choices matter. I'm convinced that we, the people of ECC, sought to live by the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in every relationship we have. Not perfectly. We're not going to do it perfectly. But if we made this our aim, our goal in life, I'm convinced that the people in your life outside of this room, the people in the 97% of your waking hours spent outside of church and churchy things, would notice. And they would be curious. They would be curious, not all of them, but some of them would be curious about this God you say you love and serve. And I don't believe we could hold them because they would want to enter in to explore that curiosity. And our job would be to take them from mere curiosity about God to Christiformity in Christ. But it begins with us allowing ourselves to be transformed bit by bit, day by day, brick by brick, into people who live out the kingdom of God, into the house that stands on a firm foundation. We trust in God to transform us. Our choices matter when we come to the Sermon on the Mount. There's two ways we can go. One is a good way, one is not. French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre said this, we are our choices. We are our choices. Now, that doesn't perhaps jibe too well with our understanding of the grace of God. I do believe the grace of God has the power to change us and to remake us, even though we may have made bad choices. But it is true that our choices matter. Our choices make us, and they have the power to remake us when we make better choices in the future. We can be transformed in turn in a better direction. Jesus says, as God did long ago, I set before you two ways, two ways of life. You can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose blessing or you can choose cursing. You can go the narrow way or you can go the broad way. You can bear good fruit or you can bear bad fruit. You can build your house on the good, solid foundation or you can build it on the, build it on the, uh, the foundation of sand. This is the commitment we make when we come to faith in Christ. When we surrender our lives to Christ, when we ask God to forgive us of our sins, we are making a commitment not only to trust that God will forgive us and cleanse us, but also that God will be at work in our lives as we participate with the Holy Spirit, as we participate in spiritual practices, as we share in the life of the body together, that we will be transformed, as I said, bit by bit, moment by moment, day by day, Brick by brick. We're trusting in God's grace to enable us to walk the narrow way, to enter through the narrow gate, and to find the life that God has for us. Back to Jesus' words one more time. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That phrase, puts them into practice, is really only one word. It's a verb. It pops up nine times in our passage today. You can't tell that in English translations, but it does. Nine times, and it's translated different ways each time. So, for example, 
It's translated as bears fruit in verses 15, 18, as does the will of God in verse 21, as perform miraculous signs in 22, as putting into practice what we said in verses 24 to 27. And if we back up to last week's passage in verse 12, it's also there. Do to others as we would have them do to you. So 11 times in these closing paragraphs, this verb to do, to act, appears. That tells us that our choices matter. Yes, I believe in the grace of God to transform us and our choices, but there are still going to be consequences. Our choices matter. Which way are we going to go? Two ways, two gates, two trees, two builders, two foundations, two houses, two destinies. Our choices matter. In a Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. At one point in the story, Harry is noting the disturbing similarities between himself and the evil Voldemort. And he's concerned about this. And then Dumbledore says to him, it is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. It is our choices that show what we truly are. All of this can sound very heavy. All of this can sound very difficult, and I understand that. It is a challenging word. But what if we don't make it? What if we fail? What if we try to live out the kingdom of God kind of life and we just can't do it and we stumble? What if we blow it? If we blow it, we lean into the grace of God because we will blow it. We will not be perfect. We lean into the perfection of Christ. We lean into the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God Because we know that he can forgive us and we know that he has the power to sustain us and to train us and to move us in the direction we want to go. And if we do these things, if we surrender to God, if we trust that we're going to blow it, but we need God's grace and forgiveness and mercy to transform us. If we do these things, I believe, I know that we'll be led in a better direction, a more good, beautiful, and true direction in this life. In the book Alice in Wonderland, Alice says to the Cheshire cat, Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to go, where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Well, then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat, so long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough. Do we want to go somewhere? Anywhere? You want to just keep going the way you are, or do you want to drive deep into the heart of the kingdom of God. Which one is it? These are choices. The grace of God is sufficient for our bad choices. I want to say that again. But the grace of God is also sufficient to help us make better choices. Choices that are transformative and salvific. Choices that lead us into a better place. A spacious place. An open place. One more baseball quote. Yogi Berra, who's known for making sort of nonsensical sayings sometimes and being famous for them. Yogi Berra once said this. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Which sounds like it makes no sense. Of course you take it. But what I found out from a colleague of mine who was pastoring in Yogi's hometown of Montclair, New Jersey, which uh, whenever Yogi would give directions to his house, he would say, uh, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. Because when you came to Yogi's house... Whichever way you went, you still got to his house. So that one makes sense. 
If you're going to visit Yogi Bear's house, just take the fork in the road. It doesn't matter which way you go. But when you want to enter into the kingdom of God, when you want to experience all that God has for you in this life and in the next, it does matter which way you go. It does matter which way you go. Which way will you choose? Two ways, two gates, two trees, two kinds of fruit. Two ways of knowing and interacting with God. Those who know God and those who know God and do the Father's will. Two foundations, two builders, two houses, two destinies. Our choices matter. And again, I know how heavy this can sound. But I think it's better if we could hear it not as a challenge, or at least not only as a challenge, but also as an invitation to something better. C.S. Lewis says of all of us, one of my favorite quotes, we human beings are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We are too easily pleased if we take the wrong road. If we take the broad road. Better to take the narrow one. Yes, it's a bit of a tight squeeze at first, but it takes us to a broad and spacious place and it leads us to a place of joy in our lives, in our relationships, certainly in our walk with God. What choice do you need to make as we come to the end of this? I hope this is not the last time you will look at the Sermon on the Mount. There is so much here to continue to wrestle with. The first time I preached through the Sermon on the Mount, I believe it took me 22 weeks. We've done it in 12, and we've skipped over some stuff. Please go back again and again. Don't just read, don't even just memorize, but learn the truth that God has for us and how to live in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the last week in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. Next week is Easter, and we will celebrate the resurrection. The week after that, we begin, as I mentioned last week, a second series, The Hope of Glory. It is about presence. It is about how Christ in us is present to the world in which we live, to those who are outside in our 97% beyond these walls. I hope you'll join us for that series as we walk through it. And as we do it, we're also going to be dipping into the third book in this trilogy by James Bryan Smith, The Good and Beautiful Community, which is all about our presence. We'll be borrowing themes from that book and preaching on passages that tie into each of the chapters. And again, we're going to begin that the week after Easter. I hope you'll uh, commit to join with us in whatever way works for you as we continue this journey. Would you pray with me as we close? Gracious God, we we give you thanks for your word to us this day and always. We give you thanks that that you love us enough to teach us a better way to live, not only how to live with you forever, but how to live life in the here and now. We praise you for your forgiveness and your mercy when we live this life unfaithfully, imperfectly, when we fail in the most basic and sometimes horrendous ways. And we ask you, God, that you will pour out your Holy Spirit on us and empower us to live this kingdom life that comes to us in Christ, your Son. Grow us into passionate followers of Jesus, O God. Create in us hearts that long to hear and understand and do your word. Give us eyes to see the choices before us and the wisdom and the humility and the determination to choose the narrow way over the broad, to build on the firm foundation rather than a foolish one. 
Disabuse us, O God, of our half-hearted notions of what it means to be Christians. Raise the bar in our lives and relationships that we might be those who have counted the cost of discipleship and engaged fully in all that it means to become like Christ, to be his disciples day in and day out. And use us, Father, to draw others to you. Pour out your Spirit on us that we would be faithful and bold out in the world, among our neighbors and family and friends, that others would come to know you through our lives and our worship. This week we pray that you will draw those who need to be here for worship on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, Lord. May we be gracious and welcoming, and may the truth of the resurrection of your Son shine forth like never before. We ask you, Lord, for the privilege of becoming a place of refuge for the lost and the hurting and the wandering, a beacon of light for those who wander in the darkness. We pray that you would grant us the privilege, O God, of stepping out of our complacency and into your victory this day and this week. Grant us the privilege to see scores of people in the coming months who have not known you begin to come to know you and follow Jesus and pursue your purposes in the world, even as we seek to do ourselves. And may you, O God, receive all the glory, all the praise, and all the credit in answer to these prayers. We ask all of this in the strong name of Jesus, who is our risen Savior, our teacher, and our Lord. Amen.